0: part one section three of swan's way by marcel proust translated by c k scott moncrief eighteen eighty nine to nineteen thirty this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part one overture section three for many years albeit and especially before his marriage M. Swann the younger came often to see them at Combray. My great-aunt and grandparents never suspected that he had entirely ceased to live in the kind of society which his family had frequented, or that, under the sort of incognito which the name of Swann gave him among us, they were harboring, with the complete innocence of a family of honest innkeepers who have in their midst some distinguished highwaymen and never know it, one of the smartest members of the jockey club, a particular friend of the Comte de Paris and of the Prince of Wales, and one of the men most sought after in the aristocratic world of the Faubourg Saint-Germain. Our utter ignorance of the brilliant part which Swan was playing in the world of fashion was of course due in part to his own reserve and discretion, but also to the fact that middle-class people in those days took what was almost a Hindu view of society, which they held to consist of sharply defined castes so that every one at his birth found himself called to that station in life which his parents already occupied and nothing except the chance of a brilliant career or of a good marriage could extract you from that station or admit you to a superior caste. m swann the father had been a stockbroker and so young swann found himself immured for life in a caste where one's fortune as in a list of taxpayers varied between such and such limits of income we knew the people with whom his father had associated and so we knew his own associates the people with whom he was in a position to mix if he knew other people besides those were youthful acquaintances on whom the old friends of the family like my relatives shut their eyes all the more good-naturedly that swann himself after he was left an orphan still came most faithfully to see us but we would have been ready to wager that the people outside our acquaintance whom swann knew were of the sort to whom he would not have dared to raise his hat had he met them while he was walking with ourselves had there been such a thing as a determination to apply to swann a social coefficient peculiar to himself as distinct from all the other sons of other stockbrokers in his father's position his coefficient would have been rather lower than theirs because leading a very simple life and having always had a craze for antiques and pictures he now lived and piled up his collections in an old house which my grandmother longed to visit but which stood on the quai d'orleans a neighborhood in which my great-aunt thought it most degrading to be quartered are you really a connoisseur now she would say to him i ask for your own sake as you are likely to have fakes palmed off on you by the dealers for she did not in fact endow him with any critical faculty and had no great opinion of the intelligence of a man who in conversation would avoid serious topics and showed a very dull preciseness not only when he gave us kitchen recipes going into the most minute details but even when my grandmother's sisters were talking to him about art when challenged by them to give an opinion or to express his admiration for some picture he would remain almost impolitely silent and would then make amends by furnishing if he could some fact or other about the gallery in which the picture was hung or the date at which it had been painted but as a rule he would content himself with trying to amuse us by telling us the story of his latest adventure and he would have a fresh story for us on every occasion with someone whom we ourselves knew such as the combray chemist or our cook or our coachman these stories certainly used to make my great aunt laugh but she could never tell whether that was on account of the absurd parts which swann invariably made himself play in the adventures or of the wit that he showed in telling us of them. It is easy to see that you are a regular character, Monsieur Swan. As she was the only member of our family who could be described as a trifle common, she would always take care to remark to strangers when Swan was mentioned that he could easily, if he had wished to, have lived in the Boulevard Haussmann or the Avenue de l'Opera, and that he was the son of old Monsieur Swan, who must have left four or five million francs, but that it was a fad of his.' a fad which, moreover, she thought was bound to amuse other people so much that in Paris, when M. Swan called on New Year's Day, bringing her a little packet of marron grasse, she never failed, if there were strangers in the room, to say to him, well, M. Swan, and do you still live next to the bonded vault, so as to be sure of not missing your train when you go to Lyon? And she would peep out of the corner of her eye over her glasses at the other visitors. But if anyone had suggested to my aunt that this Swan who in his capacity as the son of old m swann was fully qualified to be received by any of the upper middle class the most respected barristers and solicitors of paris though he was perhaps a trifle inclined to let this hereditary privilege go into abeyance had another almost secret existence of a wholly different kind that when he left our house in paris saying that he must go home to bed he would no sooner have turned the corner than he would stop retrace his steps and be off to some drawing-room on whose like no stockbroker or associate of stockbrokers had ever set eyes. That would have seemed to my aunt as extraordinary as, to a woman of wider reading, the thought of being herself on terms of intimacy with Aristeus, of knowing that he would, when he had finished his conversation with her, plunge deep into the realms of Thetis, into an empire veiled from mortal eyes, in which Virgil depicts him as being received with open arms or to be content with an image more likely to have occurred to her for she had seen it painted on the plates we use for biscuits at combray as the thought of having had to dinner ali baba who as soon as he had found himself alone and unobserved would make his way into the cave resplendent with its unexpected treasures one day when he had come to see us after dinner in paris and had begged pardon for being in evening clothes Françoise, when he had gone told us that she had got it from his coachman that he had been dining with a princess a pretty sort of princess drawled my aunt i know them and she shrugged her shoulders without raising her eyes from her knitting serenely ironical altogether my aunt used to treat him with scant ceremony since she was of the opinion that he ought to feel flattered by our invitations she thought it only right and proper that he should never come to see us in summer without a basket of peaches or raspberries from his garden and that from each of his visits to Italy he should bring back some photographs of old masters for me. It seemed quite natural, therefore, to send to him, whenever we wanted a recipe for some special sauce, or for a pineapple salad for one of our big dinner parties, to which he himself would not be invited, not seeming of sufficient importance to be served up to new friends, who might be in our house for the first time. If the conversation turned upon the princes of the House of France, gentlemen you and i will never know will we and don't want to do we my great aunt would say tartly to swann who had perhaps a letter from twickenham in his pocket she would make him play accompaniments and turn over music on evenings when my grandmother's sister sang manipulating this creature so rare and refined at other times and in other places with the rough simplicity of a child who will play with some curio from the cabinet no more carefully than if it were a penny toy Certainly the swan who was a familiar figure in all the clubs of those days differed hugely from the swan created in my great-aunt's mind, when, of an evening, in our little garden at Combray, after the two shy peals had sounded from the gate, she would vitalize by injecting into it everything she had ever heard about the swan family, the vague and unrecognizable shape which began to appear, with my grandmother in its wake, against a background of shadows, and could at last be identified by the sound of its voice. But then, even in the most insignificant details of our daily life, none of us can be said to constitute a material whole, which is identical for everyone, and need only be turned up like a page in an account book or the record of a will. Our social personality is created by the thoughts of other people. Even the simple act, which we describe as seeing someone we know, is to some extent an intellectual process we pack the physical outline of the creature we see with all the ideas we have already formed about him and in the complete picture of him which we compose in our minds those ideas have certainly the principal place in the end they come to fill out so completely the curve of his cheeks to follow so exactly the line of his nose they blend so harmoniously in the sound of his voice that these seem to be no more than a transparent envelope so that each time we see the face or hear the voice it is our own ideas of him which we recognize and to which we listen and so no doubt from the swan they had built up for their own purposes my family had left out in their ignorance a whole crowd of the details of his daily life in the world of fashion details by means of which other people when they met him saw all the graces enthroned in his face and stopping at the line of his arched nose as at a natural frontier but they contrived also to put into a face from which its distinction had been evicted a face vacant and roomy as an untenanted house to plant in the depths of its unvalued eyes a lingering sense uncertain but not unpleasing half memory and half oblivion of idle hours spent together after our weekly dinners round the card-table or in the garden during our companionable country life our friend's bodily frame had been so well lined with this sense and with various earlier memories of his family that their own special swan had become to my people a complete and living creature so that even now i have the feeling of leaving someone i know for another quite different person when going back in memory i pass from the swan whom i knew later and more intimately to this early swan this early swan in whom i can distinguish the charming mistakes of my childhood and who incidentally is less like his successor than he is like the other people i knew at that time as though one's life were a series of galleries in which all the portraits of any one period had a marked family likeness the same so to speak tonality this early swan abounding in leisure fragrant with the scent of the great chestnut tree of baskets of raspberries and of a sprig of tarragon and yet one day when my grandmother had gone to ask some favour of a lady whom she had known at the Sacre Cœur, and with whom, because of our caste theory, she had not cared to keep up any degree of intimacy in spite of several common interests, the Marquise de Villeparisis, of the famous house of Bouillon, this lady had said to her, I think you know M. Swann very well. He is a great friend of my nephew's, the Durlongs." My grandmother had returned from the call full of praise for the house, which overlooked some gardens, and in which Madame de Villeparisis had advised her to rent a flat and also for a repairing tailor and his daughter who kept a little shop in the courtyard into which she had gone to ask them to put a stitch in her skirt which she had torn on the staircase my grandmother had found these people perfectly charming the girl she said was a jewel and the tailor a most distinguished man the finest she had ever seen for in her eyes distinction was a thing wholly independent of social position she was in ecstasies over some answer the tailor had made saying to mamma savinia would not have said it better and by way of contrast of a nephew of Madame de villeparisi whom she had met at the house my dear he is so common now the effect of that remark about swann had been not to raise him in my great-aunt's estimation but to lower Madame de Villeparisis. it appeared that the deference which on my grandmother's authority we owed to Madame de villeparisi imposed on her the reciprocal obligation to do nothing that would render her less worthy of our regard and that she had failed in her duty in becoming aware of swann's existence and in allowing members of her family to associate with him how should she know swann a lady who you always made out was related to marcia MacMahon. this view of swann's social atmosphere which prevailed in my family seemed to be confirmed later on by his marriage with a woman of the worst class you might almost say a fast woman whom to do him justice he never attempted to introduce to us for he continued to come to us alone though he came more and more seldom but from whom they thought they could establish on the assumption that he had found her there the circle unknown to them in which he ordinarily moved but on one occasion my grandfather read in a newspaper that m swann was one of the most faithful attendants at the sunday luncheons given by the duc de aix whose father and uncle had been among our most prominent statesmen in the reign of louis philippe now my grandfather was curious to learn all the little details which might help him to take a mental share in the private lives of men like mole the duc pasquier or the duc de Broglie. he was delighted to find that swann associated with people who had known them my great-aunt however interpreted this piece of news in a sense discreditable to swann for any one who chose his associates outside the caste in which he had been born and bred outside his proper station was condemned to utter degradation in her eyes it seemed to her that such a one abdicated all claim to enjoy the fruits of those friendly relations with people of good position which prudent parents cultivate and store up for their children's benefit for my great aunt had actually ceased to see the son of a lawyer we had known because he had married a highness and had thereby stepped down in her eyes from the respectable position of a lawyer's son to that of those adventurers upstart footmen or stable-boys mostly to whom we read that queens have sometimes shown their favors she objected therefore to my grandfather's plan of questioning swann when next he came to dine with us about these people whose friendship with him we had discovered on the other hand my grandmother's two sisters elderly spinsters who shared her nobility of character but lacked her intelligence declared that they could not conceive what pleasure their brother-in-law could find in talking about such trifles they were ladies of lofty ambition who for that reason were incapable of taking the least interest in what might be called the pinchbeck things of life even when they had an historic value or generally speaking in anything that was not directly associated with some object aesthetically precious so complete was their negation of interest in anything which seemed directly or indirectly a part of our everyday life, that their sense of hearing, which had gradually come to understand its own futility when the tone of the conversation at the dinner table became frivolous or merely mundane, without the two old ladies being able to guide it back to the topic dear to themselves, would leave its receptive channels unemployed so effectively that they were actually becoming atrophied so that if my grandfather wished to attract the attention of the two sisters he would have to make use of some such alarm signals as mad doctors adopt in dealing with their distracted patients as by beating several times on a glass with the blade of a knife fixing them at the same time with a sharp word and a compelling glance violent methods which the said doctors are apt to bring with them into their everyday life among the same either from force or professional habit or because they think the whole world a trifle mad. End of part one, section three. Recording by Expatria in Bangor, Maine.